Grab your Bibles and let's open them to the book of Genesis. We're going to go to the 50th chapter of Genesis, which is the last chapter of Genesis. Now, what does that tell you? (laughs) Um, I want to begin reading at, at the 22nd verse. Genesis 50, verse 22, and then we're going to skip over to the book of Hebrews. So you might want to lick your fingers. And let me read you just beginning at verse 22 of Genesis 50. We'll read to the end of the chapter. And then we're going to say, jump, as I said, to the book of Hebrews. So stay with me. Here we go. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being a 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And now Hebrews 11, verse 22. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, that endures forever. This morning, let's, let's start in the New Testament and work our way back to the Old. Um, I think many of you know that Hebrews 11, out of which I just read one verse, is a very famous chapter in the Bible. I mean, you've got, you've got several famous chapters, 1 Corinthians 13, you know. Well, Hebrews 11 is right up there with 1 Corinthians 13. There have been whole books written on this one chapter, Hebrews 11, one chapter. They've written books about this chapter. And um, uh, it's called, that is, Hebrews 11 is called, the Hall of Fame of Faith. And um, what happens in Hebrews 11 is that it opens with its famous definition of faith in verses 1 and 2, and then in verse 6. And then it goes on, that is, Hebrews 11 goes on to include... Uh, the names of dozens of men and women who are models of what it means to live a life of faith. Now, among those notables in Hebrews 11, you find the name of Joseph. Verse 22, I just read it. Um, And after Joseph's long and illustrious life, what one event 
does the author of Hebrews use as his illustration of Joseph's life of faith? Was it um, his victory over temptation uh, offered to him by Potiphar's wife? No, that wasn't it. Okay, maybe it was um, Joseph's ability to interpret dreams. No, that wasn't either. Okay, okay, then, uh, oh, I know, it was, it was Joseph's forgiveness of his brothers who tried to murder him. No, it wasn't that either. Okay, I got it. It was, it was Joseph's ability to govern Egypt through that horrible famine. No, it wasn't that either. You know what it was? It was that event I read you in Genesis 50. It was that dying act. That, that, that dying act right here in Genesis 50 that the author of Hebrews uses as the grandest and, and most illustrative event in the life of Joseph to demonstrate that this man was a man of faith or he lived the life of faith. A dying act. I want to suggest to you guys that this dying act that I read you in Genesis 50 is just, it's just full of lessons for us. And, and I think the author of Hebrews agrees with me because he certainly used it when it came time. I mean, when the, when the author of Hebrews is sitting down thinking, okay, I want to use Joseph as a man who illustrates a life of faith. What one event am I going to point to? He points to this one for heaven's sakes. Because he thought it. Above all else, illustrated faith. I've got a book in my, um, uh, my library entitled Voices from the Edge of Eternity. It's basically a collection of deathbed statements. And um, my, my point is, here's one. Here's a voice from the edge of eternity. Genesis chapter 50, 22 through 26. And, and I'm, I'm suggesting that it is... Full of lessons for us. Meaningful lessons for us. So, stay with me. First of all, I, I want to I try and show you, or at least take a guess, at why this event was so, so impressive to the author of Hebrews. And then what we're going to do is try to look at the lessons that I suggested are contained in there. So, um... So first of all, what we're doing is, in, in the mind of the author of Hebrews, through looking through his eyes, the one thing in Joseph's life that so illustrated faith for him, the author of Hebrews, was this dying act where Joseph makes mention of one thing that, that God had said. That's back here in Genesis 50. He makes mention of a promise. A promise that God had made. A promise about the Exodus. If you know what the Exodus is, that's 
That's when Israel came out of Egypt, you know, across the Red Sea and came into the Promised Land. That's the Exodus. They made a movie out of that. It's that mention of that promise that for whatever reason certainly impressed the author of Hebrews. And it was made, that is, by Joseph, before the promise had ever been fulfilled. He's on his deathbed. He's dying. And even though the promise hadn't been fulfilled, he holds fast to it. And that was really impressive to the author of Hebrews. The most impressive thing about Joseph's life in the mind of the author of Hebrews was that God had spoken to him. That is, God had spoken to Joseph. And Joseph made decisions, made choices based on what God had said. All of those miraculous and wonderful things that God had done in Joseph's life, but none of them so moved the author of Hebrews like the fact that God said something to Joseph and Joseph conducted his life based on what God had said to him. Actually, it didn't even, it wasn't even said to Joseph. It was said to his great grandfather, Abraham. The promise was made to Abraham. Abraham passed it on to his son, Isaac. Isaac passed it on to his son, Jacob. Jacob passed it on to his son, Joseph. And to his dying day, that promise still governed the choices, the decisions that, that Joseph made. This, this promise wasn't fulfilled for another 300 years. But for Joseph, God's promises were the foundation of his life. That the dominant theme of Joseph's life was what God had said, and he built his life, that is, Joseph built his life around the things that God had said. Joseph made decisions based on what God had said. Joseph planned his future based on what God had said. Um, he, his value system, that is Joseph's value system, grew out of things that God had said. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I agree with the author of Hebrews. That's pretty dang impressive. This is a man who lived his life, made choices and decisions, and made definitions about issues, all based on things that God had said to him. That's how he lived. But I wonder if it's the way that I live. If you'll uh, take a look back at Genesis 50, it's kind of, it's, it's, it borders on the comical. This mention about his bones in verse 25 you know, it would have been true to custom for him to have had a great monument built to his memory. That is, because he was a national hero. He delivered Egypt. But, um, no, he, he doesn't want any monument. He, he simply wants to be, he wants his bones to be where God's promised land was. 
I, I want my bones and whatever's left of me, I want it to be with God's people. So don't bury me, for heaven's sakes. Because when God finally, you know, fulfills his promise, I don't want you to have to go digging around in the dirt to find me. Because God is going to fulfill his promise. He's going to visit you. Because for Joseph, ladies and gentlemen, the chief reality, the thing that controlled Joseph's understanding of life and future was what God had said, what God had promised. And that's where Joseph wanted to be. I want to be in that place that God has promised when he finally fulfills the promise. That's impressive, ladies and gentlemen. That's impressive that a man who comes to his dying moments and he doesn't see the slightest hint that that this promise is going to be fulfilled and he's still hanging on to it. So much so that he says, listen, about my bones, you just keep them ready. Because when God gets ready to move us, I'm going with you. Now, that's the thing I think that impressed the author of the Hebrews. That's the thing that, that's the reason, that's my suggested reason as to why the author of Hebrews said, this is the evidence that this was a man of faith, more than any of those other things. Now, having said that, what I want to do, spend the rest of our time doing, I, I, I said that there's some lessons in here for us. And I, and I, I want to mention four things. If you are one of those people who like to know the outline before I get to it, here it is. Here are the four lessons. Number one, where I belong. Number two, a mark of the redeemed. Number three, usefulness in the silent years. And number four, dying well. Those are the four lessons I want to draw from this. Here we go. First of all, this um, where I belong. Gang, for Joseph, the, the homage of Egypt was was not to be compared to the to the blessings of being in God's promised land, wherever that was and whenever that was. Because people who are live by faith always value things above more than they value things below. You, you know, um, and, and the older they get, it seems, that they, they develop a greater distaste for all of the stuff that the world prizes. You know, we sing a song around here. It's um, glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion city of our God. And there's a line in there, that in, in that hymn that goes like this. Solid joys and lasting pleasures. None but Zion's children know. Well, people who live by faith understand something like that. That solid joys and lasting pleasure. Oh, oh, oh. They're not associated with this existence. They're, they're associated with something else. You know... Subsequent generations would, um, would, would see that coffin full of those bones and they, they'd want to know, uh, um, why do we have this coffin? I mean, um, why is it that, that every time we move, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta take this coffin with us? Who's in the coffin for heaven's sakes? What's the big deal about this coffin? And then they would hear of this, the grand legacy of a man, a man who lived his life based on promises that God had made him. What famine, they would ask. They didn't know anything about a famine. That was a hundred years ago, and they'd been thoroughly Egyptianized. 
But that coffin, that coffin would be a constant reminder that this is not where we belong. You can dive into Egypt all you want to, my young friend. But that coffin over there, it reminds us that this is not where I live. I'm moving. I'm going elsewhere. And that coffin will be a grand reminder of what Joseph said. God will surely visit you. And you shall carry up my bones from here. Because I don't belong here. That's the first lesson, guys. From this man whose name is Joseph. Joseph understood something about to whom and to what he really belonged. The second lesson has to do with a mark of the redeemed. I want you to notice that in this little story I read you, beginning in verse 22, and Joseph, this is verse 24, and Joseph said to his brothers, this request is made of Joseph's brothers. Remember who they were? Oh, they were the ones that tried to kill him. They were the ones who had a little, you know, discussion about how to murder him while he was listening. I mean, you know, back years ago, uh, when he came to visit them and he had that multicolored coat on and they stripped it and they they had a little discussion as to how they were going to murder him. And he heard it all. And then they sat down to have a little nice little meal while he was in a pit, while they were discuss- discussing what we're going to do with this guy. And they finally decided to sell him into bondage. That's the ones that he's talking to here. And he's asking of them for their help. Because when you leave, I want to go with you. Guys, there's an implication there that I think is very, very powerful. And the implication is that that relationship between him and his brothers had been restored after this enormous offense. Now, again, do I have to give you the details of the offense? I just did. But they tried to murder him. Gang, my, my point is this. I, I wonder how many of our families are broken for far less provocation than Joseph had. You know... Um, that inheritance money. Gang, um, one of the marks of redeemed people is that they know how to forgive each other. And that's not a theme that's just found in this story. Oh my goodness. It's found all throughout this book. One of the marks of God's people is the, the ability and the willingness to forgive. And yet some of us haven't spoken to family members for years because of the, the offense. What is it? By the way, let me just read you one other passage. This is, in, don't turn, but just two quick verses out of Matthew 6. Um, Jesus says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 
But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. My, if there was anybody that had an excuse not to forgive, it might have been Joseph, but not you. But Joseph didn't have permission either, and neither do you. Neither do we. There is in this scene a sweet implication of the renewal and the repair of that broken relationship. How about the ones that, that torment your home? Here's the third lesson. It has to do with, <laughs> with faithfulness during the silent years. Let, let me show you what I mean. We're told a couple of times that he's 110 years old, that Joseph is 110 years old when he dies. He was able to see his great-grandchildren. Um, I think it was only one great. It might be great-great-grandchildren, but he was able to live a long time. He died at 110. Now, we're told in chapter 41, um, uh, verse 30, verse no, verse 46, that he started his ministry in Egypt at age 30. Okay? And we know that that ministry in Egypt lasted at least 14 years. Seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. So at that point, he's 44. And if he died at 110, that means there's 66 years that are really unaccounted for. Now, let's just for sake of argument say that he served Pharaoh for another 30 years. I don't know that. I'm just saying it could have been 40, it could have been 20. I don't, it doesn't matter to my point. But let's just say he served him another 30 years, which makes him 76. Which means that there are 30, 40 year period in there that is, that is unaccounted for. It's just a, it's just a silent period. Silent years. And, and that life compared to his previous one is, is just downright boring. There's the, there's the humdrum compared to other parts of his life when, when he was useful and vibrant. But these silent years, excitement is rare. And, and productivity has declined. What do you do with those years? I don't know. We're not told. But we are told this much, ladies and gentlemen, that he remained faithful to the end of his life. And that's my point. Guys, can we too remain faithful in the silent years? You know, when uh, excitement has kind of died down, you know what we call that, don't you? Today we call that retirement. So what are you going to do with your silent years? What are you going to do with your retirement, my, uh, my dear friend? What are you going to do with the rest of your life? Retire to Florida? Fossilize? You know, get, uh, get killed going the wrong way on the expressway? You know, gang, um, some of us, by really no fault of our own, some of us are going to die in nursing homes. Our health is going to decline and we're going to end up in a nursing home. That's where we're going to die. But others of us, we're going to die in nursing homes too. And you will deserve it. Because you refused 
you, you refuse to trust God and to follow Him into your future. You know, gang, I, I hope that I get to retire from this pulpit. I hope you'll let me. But I know that I'm not in control. I'm not in control of that. I'm not in charge of that decision. But let me tell you one thing that I am in charge of. I am in charge of choosing to remain faithful to God. Now, will I or will I not? Don't know. We'll see. But the same is true of you, my friend. How are you going to arrive at heaven's door? Burn out or rusted out? You know, I think I've told you this story before about John Piper tells this story about this 80-year-old guy who had all of his life dreamed of, well, not dreamed, but longed to, to preach Christ to Muslims. People told him, well, wait a minute now, you know, you better not, you better not do that. That's a, that's a pretty dangerous thing. And, you know, they might kill you, but he couldn't be dissuaded. And, and so he, um, he uh, went on over there to preach Christ to the Muslims. And guess what? They killed him. I wish you could hear John Piper say that. <laughs> I mean, he is giggling the whole time he's saying it. Man, isn't that great? You know, do you know the name Richard Pratt? I think I told you this too before. Richard Pratt spoke at one of our missions conferences, and he's going to speak at one in the fall. He'll be the speaker at our missions conference in October. Richard Pratt, he says, I can't believe he does this, but he says he does. Richard Pratt, gets on a, every time he gets on a plane, he prays that it will go down, explode, whatever. Because he says, three minutes of terror and instant glory. Now, you may not want to fly on a plane with Richard Pratt. But, but gang, how do you want to die, huh? How do you want to live those silent years? You seen the commercial about this, this old codger, somebody gives him a Coke. It's going on right now. I mean, I think it was in the Super Bowl. Um, and somebody gives him a Coke and he tastes the Super, the Coke and he says, I wonder what else I haven't done. And then the next thing you see him jumping off a high dive and he's riding a motorcycle and he's calling a girlfriend who hangs up on him. It's kind of cute. But tell me. What else haven't you done? How are you going to spend these, these silent years of yours? Gang, my, my, my point is simply this. People who get into the hall of fame of faith are the ones who are faithful to the end. Not, not faithful until retirement. A word, by the way, which, not, which is never found in this book. Gang, to take the extra time that you have and to use it to play golf five times a week, in my opinion, is a human tragedy. There's a lesson to be learned here, ladies and gentlemen. Here's the fourth one. Back over in Hebrews 11, it's, it's interesting that the, the, in verse 22, but in verses 20 and 21 and 22, the last three men that are mentioned, the three that are mentioned, the, the one mentioned right above Joseph is his father. The one mentioned right above that is his grandfather. It's, um, it's Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And everything that's mentioned in Hebrews 11 about those three men is all has to do with their dying acts. That is, their, the last thing they did as they died. Now, um, 
Why do you think the Holy Spirit singled that out in three different cases? And there might be more, but I just looked at those three. Well, I don't exactly know, but I can. I think at least part of the Holy Spirit's reason for singling out dying acts is to assure God's people that he's not going to desert us. He's not going to desert us in those moments where grace to believe is needed the most and hardest to come by. All three of those men in Hebrews 11, they died rather matter-of-factly. There's no terror. There's no grief mentioned. Gang, related to all that, um, I want to leave you with this piece of confidence, hopefully. God is not going to desert us. You know, if, if, um, if your epitaph were written tonight, what would they write about you? What would the, what would the obit say tomorrow? Owned factory in Kyreville. Lifelong UT fan. Played cello in Germantown Orchestra. What, what would your kids say about you? Your colleagues, your grandkids. What do, you, what do your grandkids pick up when they come to visit over at your house? Oh, don't touch that china. And they go home telling mom and daddy that, you know, grandpa's as brittle as the china. Guys, all of us have a shelf life, and some of us have outlived our shelf life. And here's what you need to hear this text say to you. God will not desert you. In your hour of need. Gang, funerals had become a study in human nature for me. I do my share of funerals. I did one a while back where there were about 12 people in attendance. And they were all family members. And if I'm lying, I'm dying. They, they, they argued and quibbled and, and yeah, 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 the entire time until I got up behind the pulpit to start the funeral. They were fighting at the funeral. And then I've done them where this room is packed. And um, people can't wait to say how that life had impacted theirs. Guys, we Christians, we ought to die well. We, We ought to die as well as Joseph died, knowing God's not going to desert you. Earlier, um, the first song we sang this morning uh, is an old Samuel Rutherford uh, poem, I guess. I guess it was put to music by somebody else. And um, it goes like this. The sands of time are sinking. The dawn of heaven breaks. The summer morn I've sighed for, the fair sweet morn awakes. Dark, dark has been the midnight, but day spring, day spring is at hand, and glory, glory dwelleth. 
in Emmanuel's land. That was Dwight L. Moody's favorite hymn. If you don't know who Dwight L. Moody is, Dwight L. Moody is perhaps Christendom's greatest evangelist. That hymn was sung at Dwight L. Moody's funeral um, that was conducted on December the 26th of 1899, the day after Christmas. His casket was carried into the, into the, the sanctuary on the shoulders of 32 young boys who were all uh, from the Mount Hermon School of Boys, which Moody had founded. At his funeral, that is Moody's funeral, the Reverend Dr. A.T. Pearson Estimated that Moody had reached by, by voice or pen over one million people, and that's in the 19th century. That's pretty, that's pretty amazing. On the day of his funeral, Moody's casket was brought in and is in full view of the, the whole congregation. And the congregation wept and sang and listened to testimonies about how this life had, had impacted theirs. His son, that is Moody's son, remarked that, that the face of his dad looked very peaceful Reflecting that, that the deep satisfaction that, that the Christian experiences after leaving this, this, this streams of earth for the, for the oceans of, of, of heaven. And then something happened that, and, and I, you know, I, I can only tell you that I read this and, and, um, whether you believe it or not, it's your business. But, um, as this funeral was being conducted, it, it, it was said that as if they were all standing in heaven with Moody, the, the gray clouds outside the church um, broke just for a moment, and this, this shaft of sunlight broke in from the back of the church, and it landed on the casket. And then this, this beam of light moved up the casket and paused... For a moment, on the face of Dwight L. Moody, illuminating this face with this pure, bright sunlight. And this is what his, his son said about that. This is a quote. He said, The sunshine touched no other object. The face only was illumined. And then, as though its mission had been accomplished... It's token from the upper world assured. The sun set behind the distant hill. We also sang this. The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my King of grace. Not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hand. The Lamb, the Lamb is all the glory. Of Emmanuel's land. You believe that? You sang it. But I want you to know this, my dear brother and sister in Christ. 
Joseph has a message for you. God will come to your aid. He will not desert you. When the dawn of heaven breaks. All because the Lamb. The Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Go to your grave with that. Our Father, I do pray that you will uh, remind your people that you have never uh, broken a promise yet, that you are faithful to all that you make, and that you will be faithful to us to the end. The question is, the question before this house is not whether you're going to be faithful. We make our prayer, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.